0: I never really liked meat, but I just thought, like everyone, that this is what you're supposed to eat. So the first time that I was exposed to seeing animals being killed, I was just completely horrified by it. But I had no idea what was happening with the dairy industry, and I'm a very strong feminist. So it wasn't until I started to learn throughout the past couple of years how to eat a whole foods, plant-based diet that I really learned how to eat for my health.
1: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the PBN podcast. I'm your host Robbie Lockie. On this week's episode, we have the wonderful Kara Owell Labor, best-selling author of eight books and the creator of the Champagne Diet blog. Kara attracts more than five million listeners to her podcast, Style Your Mind, every week. People from all over the world tune in to catch her unique approach to personal development and be inspired by her ceaseless drive to help women celebrate themselves. Kara has been featured in the leading global publications including Cosmo, Marie Claire and Glamour among many many others. I hope you enjoy this week's episode, it was a real pleasure and an absolute joy to sit down with Kara. and uh, let me know what you think in the comments. See you next week. So before we get into the interview and talk about all the incredible things you've been doing over the last few years, let's uh, talk about your vegan story. We always like to begin there because that's the thing that brought us together. Um, Tell us how you discovered it and and how you got involved in or how you even encountered being vegan or eating vegan.
0: Yeah, so my story goes way back. Um, It started, I was a vegetarian first. I first went down that road when I was 16 years old and I will never forget my friend and I somehow got a hold of some video I'm assuming it was a pita video and we saw, you know, these animals being slaughtered in this video and I was just horrified. I think like anyone would be, you know, seeing this. You know, you grow up eating meat, you don't really think too much about it, and I never really liked meat, but I just thought like everyone that this is what you're supposed to eat. So, the first time that I was exposed to seeing animals being killed, I was just completely horrified by it. And I remember my best friend and I saw this and we marched upstairs and I was having dinner at her house that night. And her mom passed around this plate of maybe it was chicken or something. And I looked at it and I said, oh, I can't eat anything with a face. You know, and I was like totally rude about the whole thing. <laughs> but I was a dramatic 16-year-old that was just you know, really traumatized by what I saw. And for a while I did not eat meat, but I really didn't understand how to eat healthy at mm-hmm. that point. You know, Teenager, you're in high school. And, mm-hmm. But it always stuck with me. So I always went back and forth with being a vegetarian, frankly, because I didn't know anything about the dairy industry. So I really mm-hmm. had no idea that there was a whole other side of you know animals being exploited and, and injured and tortured and killed for food. So it wasn't until about six years ago that I had my first experience with being vegan. And that was when I did start to learn a little bit more about what was going on. And I really did it more for health purposes at first and i would flirt back and forth and i would go vegan for a few months and then i would you know i wouldn't eat properly cuz i think there's a side of it that people really need to be educated about and that's kind mm. of what i love to share like being a vegan but being a healthy vegan because i think you can take animal products out of your diet but if you don't learn how to eat for your health you can feel really tired you can feel mm. really depleted you can you know be like a vegan that just eats junk food all day which i've definitely yeah. been there so it wasn't until i started to learn throughout the past couple of years how to eat a whole foods plant-based diet that I really learned how to eat for my health. And then when I made the ethical connection, like the strong ethical connection around specifically the dairy industry, because again, the meat industry for me was very black and white. I understood what was going on. I didn't want a part of it, so I didn't miss meat. But I had no idea what was happening with the dairy industry. And I'm a very strong feminist. And as I started to learn what was happening to these female cows and how, I mean – they're being forcefully impregnated and you know that was what was giving me this you know fancy cheese plate that I used to crave when I would go out and have a glass of champagne mm. and I started to understand just how horrifying it all was it that's when it really I turned the corner and I was able to really go full force into it and honestly never look back and really just really feel strongly about it and just feel better than I've ever felt you know physically I feel better than I've ever felt and emotionally, I feel better than I 've ever felt. I feel calmer, I feel more peaceful, and I think if enough people could just give it a try, they would understand all of the the benefits and the positives to it
1: and so when you were a child and you were making these decisions, and obviously um, some might say, get emotional because you felt, you were feeling the emotion about what you had witnessed in those videos. Yeah. How did the people around you respond?
0: You know, I, I do remember telling friends and people not really understanding and my mom, you know, very caring mother, obviously she didn't really understand it. So I think Mm. a lot of people just wrote me off Mm -hmm. and they would just tell me, oh, just, you know, you're being dramatic or you're, you know, you're not, you don't know what you're talking about. You need meat for protein. You know, everybody says that line. (laughs) It's like the big joke of vegans, where do you get your protein? So people wrote me off. And I think that was part of the reason why it didn't stick until it finally did because mm. I didn't have the support, it wasn't a conversation that was happening in my household, in my family, in my friend network. So I love to be open about veganism now because I think the more supportive you can be, and the more mainstream we can make it, the easier it's going to be for people to transition into it and realize that it is the best thing you can do for yourself and for the environment and for animals. And it's not so scary because to me, it was people just wrote me off. You know, it it wasn't something that was. I was ever taken seriously about.
1: And and when it came to sort of like going into adult life, did you, did you encounter other vegans? Did you have any idea that there was a kind of vegan movement of people out there trying to sort of change, change, well, really all of humanity from living and eating in this way?
0: You know, I did, but I'm going to be honest with you. And I think a lot of people can relate to this. Mm. I just saw the extremist side of it. You know, mm-hmm. I saw people marching through the streets, like, you know, people doing these crazy, like, you know, demonstrations with PETA, I never saw the kind of like people like you and I who are really Mm -hmm. educating others on it in a really peaceful way, passionately, but also Mm -hmm. in a peaceful way. There wasn't enough of a community, I think, growing up for me to – You know to really to see it and take it seriously and understand that it could be something that I would incorporate into my life. Mm. So you know I did see it and I I live in New York City so we certainly had vegan Mm -hmm. options But it was always kind of like the very hippie community and, you know, people who were kind of like-
1: I always say mung bean eating, croc wearing, tree hugging. (laughs)
0: Exactly. Totally. And I'm like super glamorous. I love beautiful things. I love, I'm very girly and I didn't see that being represented. So when I started to transition, you know, now specifically very much more recently in my adult life, I really feel passionately about showing people you can do this in a really elevated, elegant way. You can, you know, you don't have to eat- like mung beans and tofu every night in a pair of Birkenstocks in a campground, you know, like you can Mm go to like a beautiful, you know, restaurant or you can cook yourself a beautiful meal. But yeah, I mean, for me growing up and even as an adult, it just, it wasn't as mainstream as I would have wanted it to be. And the community for me seemed a little bit out of reach. It didn't really seem like people that I could connect with personally. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. It's all about fighting your tribe, isn't it? Like a lot of people spend a lot of time in their lives searching Searching for happiness, searching for love, searching for the answer, and I think ultimately what most people want is is community, is a tribe, is 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 a sense of belonging. Um, And I think you know once you have found that connection, you know you can start to sort of develop a community of your own, really, Um, because obviously as you sort of influence others, they influence others, and you sort of start people start to sort of coalesce into these groups. Uh, vegan is obviously a broad term, but within the vegan community, there are gay vegans and straight vegans and lesbian vegans and goth vegans and uh, vegans who work in technology and vegans who work in the media. Um, you know, and it is just a, it is, you could say it as an ethical lifestyle choice, but there are a lot more things that kind of bring us together. And I think ultimately identifying, identifying yourself within a community is, it's up to you how to, how to shape and mold it.
0: I couldn't agree more. And I think people just want like you said they want a sense of community and they want to feel like somebody gets it. And you know, the approach that I've always taken is one that I've always appreciated, which is non-judgmental, compassionate, kind, uh empowering, educating. You know, I really use my platform to let people know I'm on this journey as well and I'm not perfect and there are, you know, there are areas that I'd like to still kind of work on, whether it's, you know, clothing or, or makeup or, you know, other ways of how I live a vegan lifestyle. It's not like we flip this switch one day and everybody all of a sudden is like this perfect vegan. And I think that's what has been intimidating for a lot of people, myself included with the community and never wanting to feel like I'm not a true vegan, you know, or I'm not doing it right. I think there's a lot of, you know, especially when it comes to fashion and I'm very into fashion. Like, so if I carry, you know, a bag a leather bag, even if it's vintage, is that still wrong? Is that mm. not going against you know my value? So there's a lot of um, desire to be perfect, I think, what I've observed with this community. And I I just really try to embrace people and let them know, listen, even if it's one meal a week that you're doing vegan, or yeah. you know even if you're just having breakfast is now plant-based, that's a step in the right direction. And let's mm-hmm. celebrate that as opposed yeah. to telling you everything that's wrong with the rest of your meals. Let's talk about the meal that you did have that was vegan, how did it make you feel? You know, was is it something that maybe now you can incorporate into your, you know, your lunchtime or your dinner time or can you maybe do a vegan holiday? Like, you know, vegan Christmas. I actually did that last year with my family. You know, I made we made some chicken for the people that wanted to have meat, but I did all vegan dishes. Mm -hmm. So like let's celebrate the good and let's talk about the steps in the right direction that you're Mm -hmm. making as opposed to pointing the finger at everything you're not doing yet that maybe isn't on board.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like some vegan meals are better than none at all, mm-hmm. um, you know and I think that a lot of people are afraid of this idea of perfection that if you 're not one hundred percent all the time, then you, you you don't have a right to call yourself vegan. And it's so nuanced. It really does depend on on who you are, where you live, what you have access to, your, you know, your socioeconomic standing as well. You know, people have this view that being vegan is super expensive and that you have to buy all this vegan ready meals and ready, ready vegan cheeses and things. But you know, a lot of people can't afford to live like that. A lot of people can't afford to eat like that. So it's really important to make sure that people understand that being vegan is is not really about like buying fancy food, but it's about um, the animals, which is kind of the reason it was actually created in the first place. So the word vegan comes from the word vegetarian, but with the middle taken out. I don't know if you knew the history of the word.
0: No, I didn't. This is interesting.
1: Yeah. So vegetarian uh, and vegan come from the same root. So If you take vegetarian, you take the letters out of the middle, you have the two bits at the end and you join them together and that's vegan. Oh. So the, Donald Watson of the veg, of the Vegan Society created the word vegan from the word vegetarian, and it was about focusing on removing all the bad things that were in vegetarianism and creating something new, um, which did focus on animals and still does primarily focus on animals because I think there's a real like miss. Not misunderstanding, but there's a real uh, confusion with people about eating plant-based, eating vegan or being vegan. And the two things are very, very different. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people struggle with the pressure as well. When When you're vegan, you have to change a lot of things. It's what you wear, it's your diet, it's your makeup, it's your cosmetics, whatever it is. And for some people, it can be incredibly overwhelming.
0: I agree, and it can be expensive you know if Absolutely. you look at everything that like a woman has in her you know vanity right in her makeup uh, case in her bathroom let's say it's hundreds yeah. of dollars worth of product in most yeah. cases that you 've you know collected throughout the years. there are certain things that maybe you're using that you can use for a month, so if you decide to go vegan. We have to also look at the environmental impact of that. So mm. if you're going to now go replace everything that you have, maybe you just bought a face cream that was $200 and it mm. maybe was tested on animals, you didn't know that, right? Mm. Now you have to go buy a new one that, mm. you know, is from a vegan company. It can be overwhelming, which is why I really encourage people to just work with what you have and do the best that you can and transition slowly when you can. There's no timeline. You know, nobody's telling you you have to change everything tomorrow. But yeah. I think we put pressure on ourselves to feel like, well, especially knowing the information. When you learn things, it's very hard to not know them anymore. You know, like, yeah, it's a lifetime. It is a lifetime, and it's 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 hard to go back. So, again, being patient with yourself and really celebrating the steps that you're taking in the right direction, I think, is is really key.
1: Absolutely. Going back to your childhood, so tell us about where did you grow up and what was the sort of food culture you grew up around.
0: So I grew up in an Italian American family in Brooklyn, New York. So you could imagine the food.
1: A lot of cheese. A
0: lot of cheese, a lot of lasagna, a lot of pasta. And, you know, that was also what was very difficult for me. And I, I get it when people talk about tradition and family. I totally get it when it comes to food, which is why I'm so grateful that, you know, food is really changing now. And there are so many innovative companies that are coming out with delicious vegan cheeses. But for me... Food was love, and food mm. was how we showed that we cared about each other. Food was connection. Food was really celebration. It just represented all these positive things and we passed on recipes. you know my grandfather's lasagna was one that we all made and loved, and we you know we savored this whole process of making the food and there was never any thought to what went into it. There was never a thought of that, you know, we're making meatballs now and what it, what does this really mean? It was just all about the enjoyment and the pleasure, the, the sense of community that you had around food. So it's- Have you
1: veganized it?
0: I have. I made it- Amazing. <laughs> and you know what? It was well-received. My mom loved it. She's almost fully transitioned now as well, which is a huge yeah. step because, yeah. you know, she's 64. So mm-hmm. she's got a lot of years behind her of eating a certain way and she's been more open- and I did veganize the lasagna. I used uh, Miyoko's cheese, which I absolutely love.
1: Love Miyoko. She was on the last a couple of podcasts back.
0: Yes, I listened. I love the episode. She's the queen of vegan cheese. She yeah. definitely is. And I, I made the lasagna. And you know what? It's, not only did it taste delicious, but it made everyone feel good. And when I, you know, I'm, I'm careful about the way that I talk about veganism because I don't want to make people feel. You know, like I'm attacking them. I think that's something that I'm really mindful of. So I slowly drip the information to my family and like kind of share things with them. And when I was able to really share what was going on with dairy, for example, and really get that across to my mom, I could tell when she ate the vegan lasagna, she felt so proud of herself. She felt like she really was making a difference. And that is so rewarding to me. It gives me like goosebumps to talk about because that's the point of this all, right? Like you said, it's about the animals, it's about making a difference in the world. So yeah, I have definitely have had to make a lot of changes from a cultural standpoint, but I'm making them and it, it feels good.
1: This is amazing. My, I, I'm sure you from hearing my other podcast, you'd know both my parents are vegan now and hearing my mom and dad talk about it and talk about it and be so proud to be vegan and be proud to have made these decisions and these choices. As you say, you feel you feel the goosebumps. It's There are no words to describe when you have that connection with your parents, where you share something that really matters to you. You know, when we grow up, it's so hard to have anything in common with our families. You know, as angry teenagers, you know, we just want to get as far away from our parents as possible sometimes because, you know, they're either awkward or embarrassing or Mm -hmm. something like that. But when you share something like this, which is, it's not just about food, but it's about the future of our planet. It's about these beautiful, innocent, gentle beings Childlike beings that we share this world with, um, to be to be able to sort of share that with your family is the most precious to me. The most precious gift, I think.
0: I, I couldn't agree more. And you know what I think is interesting. I don't know if you've noticed this as you've gotten older and grown up, but you know when you're young, your parents teach you everything, and yeah. you you absorb everything from them. But as you get older, you start to teach them things. Yeah. And you know you almost assume the role of the parent, and you enlighten them with all the things you've learned and i think that's the most beautiful part of all of this right like you being able to teach them something new about the world and about love and how to love other beings i i couldn't agree with you more and it's just it's the most fulfilling feeling and then seeing them actually enjoy the food and you know i love to cook i don't know if you love to cook as well but love it <laughs> yeah so like especially cooking vegan food i think is is amazing so being able to share a meal with someone and have them respond to it in such a positive way and love the taste of it, again, this comes to my Italian roots, like food is love. So if I can cook a vegan meal, like I, my husband now went vegan with me. And cooking meals for him and watching him enjoy them just makes me feel so amazing. And it makes me feel like it's an expression of love that's not just love for ourselves in a selfish way of loving the taste of the food, but love for animals and love for Mm. the world and all beings. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's awesome.
1: It is. It is wonderful. Opening the hearts, opening the sort of, you know, the heart center or you know, creating more or, or, or kind of watering the seeds of compassion, as the Buddha would say, within us. And I think when we do this, when we, when we eat in this way and we live in this way, and I think that's why a lot of people say they feel calmer, they feel more more kind of focused because I think that, you know, when you're not eating animals, when you're not eating those uh, foods probably loaded with chemicals and dioxins and, and various stress hormones, you are going to be calmer and, and you can go to bed at night knowing that you haven't intentionally uh killed any other beings.
0: It's so true. Choices. It's so true. And you want to know something that happened to me recently. I went to a lunch and I split a salad with someone at lunch. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think there was going to be any cheese on the salad. I just didn't, mm-hmm. you know, the way that it was described. And when it came out, there was. And mm-hmm. I saw it and I, you know, I very politely pushed the cheese to the side, didn't eat any of it. You know, I focused mm-hmm. on the lettuce, but mm-hmm. I couldn't sleep that night. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, is this real what could this be related to? Because I didn't feel any other stress in the day. Could it be related to the fact that I saw this and I I thought it just kind of brought up all these emotions in me? Like I used to love that salad and I used to love eating cheese, and you know, now that I've made this this transition, seeing it on my plate made me feel some kind of way, and it was it was just a really weird thing to notice, you know. And I it
1: it is absolutely weird thing. It's it's that it's that that knowing that you can't unknow.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and it's like it was like a sadness. It's like. Why are we still here? Why are we still doing this? Why are, you know, and I I under I I know what the root of it is. There's a, so much of it is just education. People just don't know or they don't want to know. And one of my goals is just to allow people to be comfortable learning and in a non-judgmental way, as always, but just sharing the information. Because if I had never learned it, if people like you had never had podcasts for other people to hear this, if you and I don't have this conversation, if someone didn't write a certain book you know i 'm thankful for the knowledge, and I, I think I just want people to be open minded enough to learn it you don 't have to make the transition, but at least be aware of what 's going on because I think that 's a big big root of the, of the problem of where we stand today in our society with our relationship with food and animals
1: mm, absolutely yeah it 's an interesting time that 's for sure and there 's going to be lots of big changes I think in the next few decades as the food system changes as the earth changes obviously growing up and and eating in a particular way, um, foods that were potentially quite high in animal products, was there much disease and illness in your family?
0: You know, there wasn't, but I will tell you something interesting that just happened. My mom went to a cardiologist recently just for kind of a standard, you know, checkup and just to see Mm -hmm. kind of what was going on. She had high cholesterol. Yeah. And the cardiologist said to her, you know, you have You have some blockage. We're going to put you on this medication, but I don't want you to use this medication as an excuse to eat what you want. You should really be eating Mm plant-based. You really should not be having any meat, and chicken counts as meat, and Mm -hmm. fish counts as meat, and I really want you to follow a plant-based diet. And she came home. And this was right around the time when I was starting to get her to transition. Mm -hmm. And that's what it took for her to really, I think, make the jump. Because it wasn't just me kind of talking about my own ideals and, you know, talking about the ethical side. It was like a cardiologist that said to her, you can't eat this stuff because you could potentially have a heart attack if you continue down this path.
1: It's so so great to have a doctor say that.
0: Yes, it is. It really is. And I, I want more doctors to talk about it. I want more doctors to be aware of it and to to educate themselves because many of them don't sadly many of them are still kind of you know stuck in in a world of well just medicate the problem and you know could never be caused by food and sadly i see a lot of nutritionists even still you know pushing meat and dairy on on people and it's just it's it's a little it's hard but you know in my family there's definitely been heart issues heart disease and that's kind of been the one thing that i've noticed there hasn't been diabetes or anything thank god but i have noticed definitely have some people on my mom's side of the family who have had, you know, bypass surgery and all those sorts of things. So fortunately it hasn't affected me and knock on wood, I'm healthy, but I, I, you know, I'm 39 years old. I look at myself and I say, well, I want to set myself I was the up. the same for- age. Oh, <laughs> oh we, we are. are yeah. 79. yeah. Yeah.
1: 79.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm 80. So yeah, I just turned 39. <laughs> you um, just made the 80s. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
1: but, you know, I'm sure you um, agree yeah.
0: with me. Like, we're going to be 40 soon. Like, mm-hmm. I want to set myself up for good health. Mm-hmm. I don't want to add to any risk or any, any mm-hmm. issues down the line.
1: Absolutely, and that was the um, same to me—the motivating force for for changing my lifestyle. You know, at the time before I went vegan, I was smoking and I was drinking and I was going out with friends and I was partying and I I really wasn't taking care of my body at all. Um, and then I was wondering why I felt terrible all the time. <laughs> um, you know, and I and I was it was interesting because I was also practicing Buddhism at the time. I was a practicing Buddhist, um, and the trigger for my change was sitting, asking myself, you know, I'm out there teaching people about compassion talking about compassion but i clearly have no compassion for myself let alone animals yeah um and i made the change and it, and it was probably the best thing i ever did the only thing i always say and i think a lot of people say this is i wish i had done it before i wish i had made the change sooner mm-hmm. um, but i think with your family obviously coming from an italian family uh, there would probably be a lot of tomatoes a lot of greens a lot of like whole grains so these kinds of foods are fantastic for protecting our bodies and uh you know, giving us all the antioxidants and nutrients that we need to to, to hold back, uh, I would say, a, a lot of the sort of Western diseases like heart disease and things like that, um, which obviously a lot of Americans, many Americans suffer from quite young now.
0: Yeah, it's really scary. I mean, I think heart disease is the number one killer, right? I think that's it? the, it, yeah, it's, it it's actually crazy. And, you know, they call them lifestyle diseases because so yeah. many of them are preventable. That's and me. I again, it comes down to education, right? We have to talk about this stuff. We have to be honest about it. We have to question things. We have to share these stories because most people don't know. Most people think getting older, sickness just comes along with that. They just assume that we just fall ill. As you get older, your health declines. And I look to other people, especially vegans. There are so many you know, amazing vegan women who are in their 60s, 70s, and 80s You know, who look Who are thriving, who look gorgeous, who are aging, who don't have to get Botox and, you know, fillers in their face and chemical peels because they have natural beauty because they're eating beautiful, light-filled foods. They're not eating death. They're not eating tortured animals. You know, that that shows. Like I, as soon as I fully went vegan and fully pulled the trigger, I can't even tell you how many people came up to me and were like, what are you doing? Did you lose weight? You look great. Your skin Mm. is glowing. I'm like, no, Mm -hmm. I'm just eating a lot of plants.
1: (laughs) It's really not (laughs) that hard. Yeah, it's incredible. People, whenever I say I'm 39, people go, what? No. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I know. I didn't think you were either. You look so young. Uh,
1: Thank you. Uh, Likewise. And uh, going back to like heart disease and the horrors of it, 610,000 people die from heart disease in the United States every single year. It's over That's half a million people dying from what, is, well, what are preventable diseases. And this is the shocking thing. And a whole food plant-based diet is the solution. It is the answer to these diseases. But we're spending you know, billions on, on warfare and spending billions on all these other you know, te- fear of terrorism, fear of um, immigrants, fear of all these other things. When in fact, the actual real enemy is the food. It's what people are eating. You know, as they say, you know, uh, diseases stay in families because diets stay in families.
0: Yes. And don't you think it's interesting that people are so hesitant and so resistant to hear this information?
1: It's It's beyond me. I guess it's a little bit like smoking. You know, when you smoke, you get caught in this cloud of nicotine and addiction. Mm -hmm. um, And, you, you know, when you pick, I don't know what it's like in the US, but here in the UK on the boxes of cigarettes, it says this will kill you. Wow. <laughs> it says this will give you cancer, this will give you heart disease, this will give you cause an early death, but you still see people smoking. Why is that? Why are humans so bad at accepting the truth? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know. I yeah, I mean, especially, you know, I try to like fill people in, like, okay, here's like sort of I call it like the vegan starter pack. Like, watch mm. this documentary. At least just watch this, pay attention mm. to this, read this book and some people will read it but then there's like the whole side of people who are like oh you're being extreme or you're such an extremist i'm like
1: yeah I'm the you were talking extremist? about that you were talking about that in your last podcast i think it was yeah. your last one or one of them i listened to recently about the yes. friend who said that you were really really extreme and you were like what <laughs> <I'm> like, <"Wait." laughs>
0: me no but it's not extreme to to slaughter animals like and right. pet your dog but then go eat a cow i mean it's just it's mind blowing and there's so much work to be done but you know i do i really try to stay positive and you know, I think you, people like you and I have a lot of responsibility on our backs to keep sharing this message and to keep conveying this to people and welcoming people into this community and showing them that it's not just possible to be vegan, but it's actually pretty easy to be vegan. And it feels really good to do it. You know, I get a lot of emails from women who are like, I have three kids. You know, I really want to do this, but I'm just afraid I can't afford to. And, you know, going back to what you said earlier about food and and cost, it is not this elitist movement. You know, it is not something for reserved for the rich and famous. It is not something for people who only live in cities. I mean, if you eat rice and beans, for example, that's so much cheaper than feeding steak to three children and, and a, a partner, you know, mm-hmm. like- So finding ways to show people that you can do this on a budget, you can do this on any lifestyle, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. You can Google some recipes and find, you know, these amazing stir fries that you can cook or it's just, it's not difficult. And I think the rewards that you get back from it when you realize, when you make these changes, especially if you can make these changes if you do have kids and show them how good it feels to be compassionate and to be a loving human being and a responsible human in this world and take care of animals and take care of each other I think that's just the best.
1: Mm, it's wonderful. And speaking of inspiring others and motivating people and and helping others change their lives, you're a, you're an author and uh, of many books and also a life coach as well.
0: Yeah, I started life coaching. Um, I got my certification back in 2012, and I've been helping people ever since. And it's just such a rewarding thing. And being able to you know assist somebody as they're making a transition in their life, no matter what that transition is. And hold space for them and share that journey with them and empower them along the way. Like, there's nothing like that, you know? And I, I didn't do this forever. I was in a corporate career. I worked for MTV. I was in advertising. I was in a very soul sucking kind of world. And I was building this life on the side. I was building mm-hmm. up my coaching career. I was going to school. I was blogging. I was writing. I was doing all these things. And when I finally made the transition, much like when I finally went plant based, I thought, why didn't I do this sooner? you know what took me so long to get here why why did i wait so long cuz it really there's nothing like helping others and serving others and being in a space where you can you know help somebody on their journey of life i think it's one of the most beautiful gifts
1: Mm, it's absolutely wonderful i'm I'm also our lives have many parallels <laughs> i'm also from uh advertising background also worked my whole professional career in advertising and media and um so you use the word soul sucking i think you said
0: oh yeah
1: <laughs> i mean that's how i felt i felt like i was working for these giant corporations feeding the beast and uh after a while, I started to do stuff on the side as well, like you, and I had to get away. Um, there's nothing more wonderful in the world than inspiring other people, I think, and seeing them grow as people, and seeing other people blossom. Like I just, it's it's such a rewarding experience, isn't it?
0: It is, and it makes you want to be a better person. You know, I think that's like the biggest thing. Is I'm so aware of my own life, and I when I have. Struggles, or I still struggle with anxiety sometimes. Or, you know, I'm I'm nervous to do something. You know, I'm very multi passionate. I have a lot of different interests and passions and obsessions, and I follow a lot of them. And when there's something new that I'm trying, and I get nervous to do it, I think, well, what kind of a leader do I want to be? What example do I want to set for the women who do follow my journey and read my books? I want to lead by example. So if I, you know, if I can show people that it can be done it's like a mutually beneficial experience, right? Because it pushes me to be a better person and in turn that inspires other, other people to see that it's possible for them too.
1: Mm. At what point through this journey did you, where was it where you were sitting and you were like, oh my God, this is actually working. What my, my side hustle or the thing I was doing on the side is actually moving forward. Was there a point where you were suddenly like, oh wow, this is actually going somewhere?
0: Yeah, you know, I started um in 2008 with a blog and that was the champagne diet. That's where that whole thing came from, so 11 years ago. It wasn't until 2012 where I started coaching and then from I would say 2012 to 2014 I was coaching a lot. I was I wasn't taking any time off work and if I was it was to work. It was to build my side hustle. I was doing uh, group coaching programs at night. So, from like, you know, 7 to 10 p.m., I would get on the phone and I would have like, you know, 10 girls call into the conference line. I'd coach them doing events. I was traveling. And I remember one month I made, you know, a couple thousand dollars that month, let's say. And it was, it came very close to what I was making in my corporate career. And I thought, well, if I could just have more time to do more work and to bring on more clients, I could maybe make this happen. And I first thought about doing it in 2013 and i was like ready to do it and i thought well when this month comes around i'm going to just like bite the bullet and then i waited one more year and it wasn't until weirdly enough i went to tokyo on a whim my brother and his now wife were staying there for a month my brother has lived in japan on and off and worked there and i was working from MTV and i was you know i was really stressed out and i was like i want to make this leap i want to do this full time and my brother said well why don't you come with me to japan and just clear your head it's a total culture shock and you know, maybe you'll get like the answer that you need when you're you're there. And I decided to go and I didn't know the language. I had no idea what to expect. I hated flying. I still do. And I got on this, you know, nearly 14 hour flight by myself and flew to Japan really just in a place of desperation, you know, in a place of like, I need something to shake me up and make me do this. Mm -hmm. And that trip completely changed my life. You know, Mm -hmm. I put, it turned everything that I knew upside down, inside out. I came home and I thought, well, there's a huge world out there. What am I doing? Like, why am I just going with the flow and letting life control me and and living in a fear-based mindset? And I walked down the stairs to my boss's office like two days after that trip and I put in my notice and I quit and I've never looked back.
1: Amazing. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. I hope anyone listening who's thinking about quitting and doing their own thing, just do it.
0: Just do it. Life is so short. And
1: Cher LaBeouf says, just do it.
0: <laughs> well, there's, I don't know if you know about this study, but there's a study that was done Um, I think it was done in Australia by a nurse and she worked with these people at the end of their lives. She was taking care of them. So like a hospice nurse basically. And she did a study called the top regrets of the dying. And the number one regret of the dying was that these people felt like they did not live a life that was true to themselves. And they got to the end of their lives and they just felt sad and they had regret. And I just thought to myself, oh, I, that can't be me. Like I just I can't do. That. I can't imagine feeling that way. So I treat every day like it's my last. And sometimes that actually is not a good thing because I never turn off because I just want to keep living and experiencing things. But I really just tell everyone, you know, focus on yourself. Focus on what's going to feel good for you. I think it, with social media the way that it is today, it can be really. Uh, frustrating because everyone has an opinion and everyone, you know, can tell you what they think of what you're doing and you can get a lot of negative feedback if you're focusing only on that. So take time off, you know, get off the computer, go live, go do things that light you up because life truly is so, so short. Nothing is promised. So as cliche as it sounds, I mean, you really, you have to just kind of maximize every moment and, and live for yourself.
1: Mm. And on that point of sort of unplugging and stuff, obviously, being an entrepreneur and being someone who's very plugged in, who's probably working far too many hours and probably <laughs> not switching off when she should switch off. Um, how, and obviously, you've got um, you have a husband as well. Um, yep. You know, how do you manage to balance everything so that you don't burn out so that, you, so that you still have a relationship at the end of the day? How do you how do you stay on top of everything?
0: You know, it's really challenging. I would be lying if I told you I had this perfect balance and I went on vacations and I, you know, turned off the phone at night. I don't, but I really try to get ahead of the burnout now. So I just try to build in time for myself. I've found so much peace in fitness in an exercise. I hired a personal trainer. This year, for the first time, I made you know a lot of changes in my life so I could afford to do that because it became a huge priority for me yeah. to be able to exercise. And again, tied into health, but also mental health. So I work out now four days a week and that's really, really helped balance things for me because it gives mm. me time to just like not have my phone near me. It's a total endorphin rush. Building strength in the gym and doing things and, and working out and working my body has really helped me kind of build strength in other areas of my life. So that has helped. Also kind of knowing the cues, like I don't know if you're – because I'm sure you're the same way, like working, running the podcast, doing everything you do. For me, I kind of can tell the cues. Like I know when I'm starting to get tired. I know when I'm starting to maybe get a little bit irritable with certain people. My husband (laughs) not to mention any names. But I I just try to take those cues and then go and do something for myself. So whether it's – you know, not staying on social media for the rest of the day or part of the day, um, you know, maybe taking myself out for a meal, going for a walk. I live in New York and it's a lot like London, there's a lot to look at and a lot to do. So I try to just like hang out and and put on my headphones and get ahead of it, but I'm definitely not balanced. I'm a passionate person, so it's, you know, I'm on 24/7. I love what I do and I feel fortunate to get to do this every day, but I do my best to kind of attempt to balance it, I would say.
1: Mm, it's always a work in progress isn't it (laughs) always (laughs) always I'm exactly the same all the stuff you just said could have just been me speaking (laughs) (laughs) Um, so speaking of relationships um, how much of what you do talks about relationships and, and, and you sort of give you know when you do life coaching like do you help people with their relationships as well
0: you know I don't and I'm gonna tell you why because I I think and I I'm saying this because I came out of a very long, not healthy relationship in my 20s. I was with somebody for seven years and it was very toxic. And fortunately, I escaped it and I met my husband who's a great guy. But I can tell you for those seven years, I tortured everyone in my life about that relationship. And it was so hard for me to finally walk away from it. And I think what I see happening with so many women, they get to a certain point where they feel they can walk away and then they go back. And it's it's very frustrating sometimes for me to watch it only because I love women so much and I want and men as well. I mean anyone who's in a anyone can be in a toxic relationship. When I see people hurting themselves, it's hard for me. It hits a little bit close to home. So I don't do a lot of relationship coaching, although there are people who come to me and that does come up. And I think what I try to do is just get people to a place where they can focus on themselves and they can focus on empowering themselves enough to love themselves to walk away from something that isn't serving them. So I don't really advertise myself as a relationship coach. If it comes up, it comes up. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of been a f- point of uh, sadness for me in a lot of ways.
1: Absolutely. But, but you share and support people where, where you can, but it's not the main remit of what you do. Exactly. So, you've written many books, um obviously we can't go into every single one, but do you want to talk us through the themes that your books uh run through and the kinds of things that you sort of teach um, mostly women but people who 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 uh, who read your books?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I think anyone can relate to the stuff that I write about. And I I always wrote for women mainly because that was just my style and, you know, it was just sort of what I did. But I get so many emails from men who are like, my wife read this book or my best friend read this book and it really helped me. I read it as well. So really my books are for everybody. Um, Girl Code is kind of the book that sort of put me on the map, so to speak. And that one was really about entrepreneurship and learning how to support others in business and learning how to really flip – your envy or jealousy to inspiration, uh, focusing on collaboration over competition, that sort of thing, which I think is a big theme among women. You know, women can be very competitive with each other and the book really kind of flips that on its head and teaches you to join forces with other women. And I think what I saw happening when I first ventured into entrepreneurship, I saw two very different sets of people there were people who were very cutthroat and competitive and isolated. And then I saw these people who were just like collaborating and joining forces, and they were the ones that were thriving and happy and successful. And I knew that that's the group that I wanted to be among. So Girl Code is really a roadmap for that. Um, I also talk about confidence a lot and empowerment. My last book is called Like She Owns the Place. It came out almost one year ago, actually, July. I love
1: that. And And the cover of the book is you... Bursting through some doors, and it's the the expression. She came through the doors like she owns the place. Yes, yes.
0: (laughs) That's back when I had my pink hair, which was uh, talked a lot about in that book. And you know, it's about developing sustainable confidence. I think Mm -hmm. this society can teach you that confidence is going to come through what I call sugar rushes Mm -hmm. of you know quick fix, quick fix, losing weight, getting work done, Botox, you know, getting an expensive handbag, or all Mm. these outside things. But that book really delves into. What I call sustainable confidence, which I think comes through allowing yourself to be vulnerable, uh, allowing yourself to embrace failure, allowing mm. yourself to try things even if you mess them up, just to try them again, and really love everything about yourself that we're told not to love. We're told to hide our flaws and mm. you know push away our imperfections and try to be perfect, and that's just not reality. So. That is honestly, I think, my favorite book that I've written because it's very, it goes much deeper than a lot of the other ones. And it really, I think, strikes a chord with people. And I speak a lot about aging, especially aging as a woman. It can be really, really tough in our society. Mm. You're kind of, there's a lot of pressure. I actually had a friend who told me we were looking at, I don't know, some picture of some woman who had all this crazy plastic surgery. And I said, Oh my God, I, I couldn't imagine. Like, that's just so sad. And she looked at me dead in the eye and she goes, I would rather look like an alien than look old. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. okay. Like, why are we taught that we can't have a line on our face? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, so mm-hmm. I I feel passionate about that. I feel passionate about teaching women, men, everyone to just embrace everything about themselves. And there's so mm-hmm. much more. But isn't we that went. everywhere,
1: though? Isn't, isn't that so interesting? That pressure for perfection, because we were talking about that earlier about being vegan. Yes. That pressure for of perfection. Why are human beings so obsessed with perfection? I mean, we've been doing it for thousands of years. I think the Greeks were the, were obsessed with perfection when they carved all those marble statues, and you know, there's been many civilizations that have, have been obsessed with you know crafting and creating the perfect human, much to the detriment of of everyone else around them. And I think, where do you think that comes from? Why do you think we have this obsession with trying to reach the, the, uh, the ultimate look and, you know, style?
0: I don't know. I mean, I don't know really where it comes from, but I do know what is making it worse. I think the Mm. media does a really good job at making us feel like we have to reach this level of perfection. I think social media can be really scary. I mean, you, you, there's actually a study that I talked about in like she owns a place where This psychologist showed people pictures that were edited, photos that were photoshopped, you know, faces were blurred, filters were put on. And even if you see that and someone tells you this photo is photoshopped, your brain will still compare a normal picture to that. Like it will still think that that's normal. It it will ignore the fact that it was Photoshopped. So it's really scary what I see going on. And it really worries me for younger people as well, because I think people like you and I, we know what it was like to not have these filters and not have these you know, perfectly showcased lifestyles on a grid on Instagram. I remember it vividly. I remember what things were like before they were comment boxes. I remember just reading an article in a magazine and just reading the article and not hearing a hundred people's thoughts about it. It just makes me worried. And I think that we have to be really careful with you know, putting ourselves out there and painting this perfect life because I think that cycle is just getting perpetuated and people are just becoming more and more isolated and more and more depressed because they don't realize that that's just not reality.
1: Mm, yeah, I mean, you know, Facetune and FaceApp and all these different things that do worry about people's kind of mental health, because everyone's now carrying around a device in their pocket, which obviously can capture their image, but mm-hmm. it can also transform that image into what society views as, as perfect, you know, perfect eyes, perfect skin, perfect hair, you know, remove all the scars, take away all the freckles, um, you know, make everything glossy and sh- uh, shiny. Um, so for women more than men, obviously, I think, I mean, obviously, men suffer from a, from a lot of, like, body issues as well. But mm-hmm. young women, particularly, and older women, obviously, are, are, have a huge amount of pressure on them to look good at all times. Um, you know, makeup, I've always seen for women, makeup as being almost like a battle, what's the word? Uh like a battle paint, you know, women wear, they cover themselves with makeup and they go out into the street. And sometimes, you know, here in London, I see women who are absolutely covered in makeup. They're beautiful women, but they are completely covered in it. You can barely see their skin. No one (laughs) would obviously dare tell a woman, you know, you've got too much makeup on. That's the most insulting thing you could probably say to a woman. But what is it, what is it about kind of that, that environment where women feel they have to cover up so much, they have to sort of hide behind it?
0: You know, again, I'm going to say a lot of it is celebrity and social media and what they mm. see out there. I mean, mm-hmm. no offense to the Kardashians, but <laughs> they're you know promoting, right now Kim is promoting this body makeup. I don't know if you've mm. seen it. I have, yeah. And, you know, she puts it all over her legs and I was watching a tutorial she was doing and she was caking it on and caking it on and covering veins and psoriasis and all these very natural things that a lot of people mm. just have, you know, on mm-hmm. their skin. And it's selling out like crazy, and people are reposting it. And I'm thinking, why? Like, why? But again, she's an influencer on a massive, mm-hmm. massive scale, and people are seeing this. And if you take like a 12 year old or 14 year old girl yeah. who watches that, she now thinks that's what she should do. Mm-hmm. So she's going to go to Rite Aid and buy, you know, spray on Sally Hansen legs or whatever yeah. that stuff is called, and cover her <laughs> legs because she thinks that's what well, well that's what this Kim does, mm-hmm. and she's famous. So again, a lot of it. I'm not saying that. Kim shouldn't do that. But, you know, you have to realize when you are in a position of influence, what Mm -hmm. message are you sending to women? Is this an empowering message? Mm -hmm. And what message are you sending to yourself? You Mm -hmm. know, I mean, I actually – I used to have Facetune on my phone when it first came out years ago Mm -hmm. and I deleted it a long time Mm -hmm. ago because I get recognized sometimes in New York, you know, if I'm walking down the street and a girl sees me and says, oh, I read your books or whatever. I don't ever want someone to not recognize me in the street because I look so different in my
1: photos.
0: (laughs) I want to look like me. I want to look like, so, you know, I don't know. Again, I I really just think that it comes down to what we see and what Mm -hmm. we see as normal and what we Mm. see as acceptable. And it becomes this really sick competition to just Mm. keep up with that. And and I think it's exhausting.
1: Yeah, I think it's all to do with ego, isn't it? It's like each of us have an, has, an, has an ego within us, within our minds. And that ego, uh, ultimately, its desire is to be acknowledged, it's to be noticed, it's to be recognized. And as children, I, I think if, you know, if, I have various theories on it, but I think if, you know, if people aren't given the love and the nourishment as children that they need, the ego kind of mature or maybe doesn't mature into an adult body and then it's always seeking nourishment always requires the acknowledgement and the approval of others at all times it's like this sort of hungry child calling out crying out all the time and will do anything to get the love and attention and the uh, adoration of others
0: yeah, it's so true. Or if you were raised in a household where that was the most valuable thing about you was your looks. Mm-hmm. If you saw your mother mm-hmm. constantly slapping on makeup and and, mm-hmm. you know, worrying about the way she looks and speaking to herself negatively and calling mm-hmm. herself fat or analyzing her body, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. see that and you're then going to think, well, this is how I should behave. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think it's really especially I always say this to women with children, especially young girls, be mindful of the way you talk about yourself. Mm-hmm. They're listening to really. you. You know, they're listening, they're hearing that and they're going to replicate it. I see it happen with so many of my friends who have little girls and I watch that little girls worship their mothers. They want Mm. to be like them. You Mm -hmm. know, and I also think that there's a little bit of like a fine line, right? Because I love, like I said, I love glamour. I love like especially like women of the past, like the Marilyn Monroe's and, Mm. you know, Elizabeth Taylor and all these beautiful glamorous women. They're like muses to me. They inspire me, especially in my vintage jewelry line and all the other things that I do and I'm interested in. You can still love getting dressed up and you can still get dolled up and feel beautiful, but you don't have to distort yourself to the point mm. where you look like someone else. There's definitely a balance there where you can enjoy being girly and 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 all of those things, but not obsessive. You know, you don't let those things define you. And I think that there's like a gentle balance we have to pay attention to when it comes to looks and and the way that we present ourselves. I love to get dressed up. I love mm. to look good when I go out. I don't ever go out looking like crazy and sweatpants and, you know, like my hair. I love feeling groomed. I love that mm-hmm. makes me feel good. But again, it doesn't define who I am.
1: Mm-hmm. Amazing. And what, speaking of glamour, what, what does glamorous mean to you?
0: Glamour to me is a feeling. It's an energy, you know, mm. it's, it's not the way that we look, but it's a, the intention behind the things that we do. So mm. when I get dressed up, for example, I want to evoke a certain feeling in myself and maybe I do that through a piece of jewelry or I do that through a dress that I put on. It's just it's about evoking this sense of uh you know just beauty and and the finer things in life and even the way that your home is decorated. You know like I love my home to feel glamorous. I like candles. I drink my water out of like a crystal wine glass instead of a plastic water bottle. You know like yeah. it's about feeling a okay. certain way. Yeah, Ooh. and it, it's less about the things and more about the energy behind them.
1: I was just looking up the etymology of the word glamour, and it's an, originally a Scottish word, and it comes from the quality of fascinating, alluring, magical, uh, and glamorous to do with kind of like, I guess, creating a feeling or creating a magical feeling.
0: Yeah, exactly. Of, uh, That's exactly yeah. how I define it as well.
1: Love a bit of glamour. Love a bit of glitter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, So, what are the top? If you if you could sort of take away some of the top things that you wish women to take away or people to take away from your books, what would they be? Five of the well, top that's things. Hard. Okay,
0: Ooh, some a of the top few. things. We're not actually um,
1: five. We're gonna do a few. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I think number one, the answers are all within yourself. Mm. I see so many people struggling, looking for answers, looking for approval, looking for permission. You are your own permission slip. Never forget that. Um, true confidence is built from within as well. You know, so the confidence that you desire is not going to come from the outside. It's not going to come from the sugar rush or the quick fix. It's going to come from doing the deep work, which can take time. So be patient with yourself as you cultivate the confidence that you want in your life. Um, what else? Hmm. Collaboration over competition. I'll throw mm-hmm. that back to girl code for sure. Oh. Joining forces with people, realizing that community is so much more important than isolation. You know, we crave connection as humans. So allow yourself to get close to people. I think a lot of people will shut people out or keep a distance or keep a wall because they're afraid that they're going to get hurt. But ultimately, we thrive on connection as human beings. I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but even this conversation will keep me going for the rest of the day because we're connecting. Mm -hmm. You know, so don't be afraid of that. You know, people you know, especially in business, I think people get nervous when it comes to connecting with other people. Is someone going to steal my idea? Is someone going to, you know, wrong me? And Yeah.
1: Been there. <laughs> yeah.
0: You know what? Listen, it happens, right? But mm. that's why you have a great attorney. So, <laughs> so <laughs> you can just push it off to them. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, we could talk a lot, especially about the competition side of things. So within vegan media, um, there's actually other people, a lot of other people in the space who are doing similar things to us. And, you know, I've grown up in a very small town in a village in Africa. And, you know, my whole life was all about collaboration. You know, there wasn't, you know, there wasn't very many people around. And collaboration and working together was a central part of my lifestyle and, and who I was as a person growing up. So it was always instilled in me as a child. And I thrive off it. And I absolutely love working with other people because personally, I'm not a massive fan of working alone in isolation. I find it lonely and I find it kind of isolating. But that's probably a whole nother podcast on the power of collaboration. Maybe we'll do a part two at some point. (laughs) Yeah,
0: it's so important. It's really, really important. And I think it makes you more creative as well, right? Because if you're just, I'm like you, I love to work with people and I work from home and I'm alone all day. And that's great sometimes when you want to get something done, but then you're just limited to your own thoughts. You're not expanding those thoughts by talking to someone and hearing their perspective. So it's really, really important to allow yourself to continue those conversations and be open to hearing from someone else. Or even if you don't agree with them. There are totally, you know, times when I share something with someone and maybe I don't agree with their viewpoint or I don't really, you know, their advice doesn't really resonate with me. But I think just being open to having those conversations is so crucial.
1: Amazing. Absolutely. Um, We're coming to the end now because we're almost at a lovely round hour (laughs) um what are the you know when we look out into the world today there is so many things to be depressed about (laughs) politically the environment you know the decimation of our beautiful planet um with all this sort of devastation out there what keeps you going like how do you stay positive and upbeat as a person
0: you know i think i just focus on the people that are helping others there was I remember, you know, being in New York for 9-11 and there was a quote that started circulating after everything happened. And I actually think it was Mr. Rogers might have been the person who said this. And he said, you know, when, when and I'm going to paraphrase this, but it was along the lines of like, when things are hard and things are tough, always look for the helpers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was a big thing when 9-11 happened, obviously. Mm-hmm. But when you looked for the helpers, when you looked for the people that were showing up and, you know, looking for people and helping people, I think that throughout no matter what's going on in the world when we look for the helpers when you look for someone that's spreading a good message and willing yeah. to lend a hand to someone even walking through the streets i'm sure you see it in london and i see it in mm-hmm. new york all the time maybe there's a homeless person and somebody brings them a meal like that to me on such a granular level it's not going to change the world but it does feel like the world is changing when i see those mm-hmm. things happen so mm-hmm. i try to you know be as kind as i can to others and i try to set the example and when i see other people doing that it does give me so much hope for the future, especially young people. I actually stumbled across a vegan demonstration a few weeks ago, in Union Square here in the city, and there was it was heartbreaking. I mean, you would I was like bawling, you would have been crying. There was a little, there was hardly anyone there, which was kind of sad. But when I looked up at who was speaking, there was a little girl. She couldn't have even been eight or nine years old, and she talked about this chicken that she had rescued. I guess her parents had an animal sanctuary. Mm-hmm. And she she read a story, like an essay that she wrote about this chicken and how it changed her life. And she started crying because she talked about the chicken passing, but she, she talked about all these beautiful things this chicken had done for her. And in right. the end, she screamed out, go vegan. And I was like bawling. I'm like, this little <laughs> girl, like she's so amazing and magical and she mm-hmm. sees the power. And if someone that young can be making such an impact – she's going to inspire others. And it just Mm. gave me such hope. And it just made Mm. me feel like, you know what? Those little things count. Those little grassroots efforts, they do count because ultimately Mm. they add up and they're going to make a big change in this world
1: absolutely absolutely before i let you go i like to ask all my guests if you're on that magical desert island with your pig friend oh yes this question (laughs) and i figured if i could give you you know it's coming because you've heard a few of the podcasts um if i could give you uh, one book one vegan dish and one music album what would you take with you
0: Uh, okay music album i would take uh smashing pumpkins siamese dream it's my favorite album of all time uh, vegan dish. I would definitely have to take some kind of Mexican dish for sure. Uh, probably like a burrito bowl or something. What saying? Book. Oh, that's a hard one. Oh my gosh. I don't know. I should have prepared for this. <laughs> book, book. <laughs> um, hmm. Maybe I would take the secret. I feel like the secret is something I can just constantly pick up and yeah, I can just open up any page of it and it just, it makes me feel a certain way. And it's, you know, yeah, I think that's what
1: it'd be. Miss Cara, thank you so much for joining us on the Plant-Based News Podcast. It's been a pleasure.
0: Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was great being on.
1: It was great fun. Great stuff. Thanks for joining us, everyone. I've been your host, Robbie Lockie. We'll be back next week with more veganism, fashion, love, technology, everything else in between.